Don't look back because the market is closed. Good Monday afternoon, everyone. Tyler Herridge here with you for today's VRA Investing Podcast. Well, it was a strong start to the week and a strong end uh, to what has been a week January, one of the weakest uh, in recent memory, at least. And we've all heard the saying, so goes January, so goes the year. And I'm sure we're going to hear a whole lot more of it as we've now wrapped up the month of January. And there's certainly a lot of fear out there about that right now. But that saying has not held up as well for the last 20 years or so now. Got some pretty, you know, for that saying to still be around so much, it's interesting because in the last 20 years, there have been six instances where the S&P fell more than 3% in the month of January. After today's rally that we just wrapped up, the S&P fell roughly uh, between five, five and a half percent for the month of January here. But so like I said, going back 20 years, six times has there been a January with a fall of more than 3%. In three of those occasions, the index was back to positive territory by the end of February. So not even one month out from where that took place. We've fallen a little bit further, especially on our, our indexes like the NASDAQ. So maybe not, maybe February is a little lofty of a goal there. But then in 2016, one of the more recent examples, it took until March. So still not too bad and ended the year positive that year as well. And 2009, we had to wait till May to get back to positive territory. But in five out of those six scenarios, the markets finished positive on the year. The only one to stay negative, might not surprise you, was 2008. So given that one of those was 2008, five out of six really is not a bad number here. So maybe it's not always the case that so goes January, so goes the year. And hopefully it's the end of January because we had great back-to-back days here, Friday, uh, strong gains as well. And then to end of the month like this, uh, you know, gets us back into the correct territory. Um, we've got a lot of big stuff coming up this month. Uh, now that we enter February, we'll also have fund flows from pension funds uh, coming back into the market. So to get a continued rally from here, uh, we would love to see that for our markets and really get a big rally to get away from the lows that we saw last Monday. Also, this Friday, uh, we'll get the first jobs report of 2022, and <laughs> this is pretty funny. The Biden administration is already doing damage control here as press secretary Jin Psaki, this is actually, I mean, pretty weird, said in a press conference today that January's job data could come back weak due to workers calling in sick because of Omicron saying 9 million people were out sick when the jobs report data was being collected. Does that, anybody catch that? <laughs> I mean, what? If they're out sick, it means that they have a job. So why wouldn't they be counted? What, I mean, what are you talking about? It's a bizarre, really. <laughs> it's, I couldn't help but laugh at that when I, when that, you know, <laughs> that thought occurred. Second here though, and probably more importantly, 
They've talked about stuff like this all the time, and especially under the Trump administration. Where did she get that data from? Because jobs reports, it is illegal to share them ahead of the announcement. Only the Federal Reserve Chair and the Treasury Secretary are supposed to see them, and I believe it's the night beforehand. So now here we are five days early, and we have Jen Psaki making comments like this. I mean, she didn't boil down to the hard data, so I mean, maybe it's it's a thin enough line, but do they have some of that data? It'd be, it'd be interesting to find that out, but definitely a weird press conference, as is not uncommon from Jen Psaki. If you've seen any of her clips, I mean, I could not watch an entire press conference with her. I've just always watched the, the clips, but... It's painful to see her go through this job. I mean, really, really bad, especially coming from uh, Kaylee. I always say her last name wrong, McInerney. Uh, man, I mean, she was she was great, answered questions well. Um, it had the data to back up her comments, not these off-the-wall outlandish things you've seen so much from really everybody in the Biden administration. But this is what we've been talking about for some time here. In regards to the Federal Reserve, if this jobs report comes out weak and begins to show a slowing economy, another thing that we've been talking about here, slowing, not saying we're going to a recession, but that kind of data could throw some cold water on the Fed's plans to raise rates. I mean, you've already heard Jay Powell saying they're going to follow the data and be nimble whatever that means, uh, but he certainly didn't confirm that they were going to raise rates in March. Just today, the Atlanta Fed came out, uh, and I've read the name of the, the chairman there, but he was talking earlier last week about doing a 50, point, a 50 basis point raise in rates. Now, over the weekend and today, rolling back those comments say that that's not what they're advocating for uh, for March. So, uh, you can see people are on edge about this already. We remain in the camp. We've been saying it here for a long time. The Fed will raise rates this year one time. That, that's been, been our call. You know, tough to lock yourself into saying one or two, but less than they expected. None of this, people are talking about raising rates five times or four times or, or more than that. In 2022, into a slowing economy, you also forget that this year is the midterms. And the Federal Reserve historically doesn't do anything that could potentially hurt the Democrats' chances in election scenarios. Now, the Democrats have done enough damage themselves that maybe they just pull the rug here. Highly doubt that, though. Uh, so, again, given this data, it seems to be set up perfectly that we'll see one rate hike this year. And even then, it probably should be zero. But they've talked about it so much that the Fed has to save face here. So hey, at least we tried, but we listened to the data and we stopped it there. You know, and that, that'll help a little bit. Um, that, that's our view on what we're gonna get from the Federal Reserve in 2022, really staying pretty accommodative in most ways, not reducing their balance sheet, getting a lot of calls for that as well, seeing people talk about not only raising races here, but quantitative tightening. Um, unlikely, uh, go ahead and say, that's our view here, but it's, it's tough to forecast out what somebody else is going to do, especially the Federal Reserve. We also this week have a big week of earnings come up, probably the biggest one so far for Q4 earnings um, from 2021. So it should be an exciting week. Take it off. Uh, I mean, we had some names today, nothing super major, but then tomorrow 
We kick it off at the open with ExxonMobil, UPS, in the afternoon, AMD, PayPal, Alphabet, Starbucks, GM. I mean, and this, this list goes on and on. Uh, later in the week, we'll have Meta, which of course is Facebook, Qualcomm, Spotify, uh, and then Thursday, Nokia, Amazon, Ford. I mean, it's going to be an exciting week. So stay tuned here. Uh, we'll be reporting on this this week here as well. Uh, <clears throat> and certainly strong earnings here will help our market, especially as we've reached these oversold readings. You know, we're coming off of them after getting a, a few nice bounces here since Monday's lows of last week. Um, but certainly upside earnings surprises would be very bullish for our markets right now. And as we talked about here often, the markets don't peak until earnings peak. Uh, in our view, that is a ways off from here. And also, I mean, on the Federal Reserve note as well, so many people are so worried about these interest rate hikes. And that's another thing as well. If you look back on previous rate hike cycles, the correction in the market doesn't take place until the Fed is ending their policy. It doesn't take place at the beginning. You know, it doesn't take place with the first one, two, three, four even rate hikes. It takes place when they're about to wrap it up, that final one or two hikes that they were going to do, like we saw in 2018 where the Fed raised rates, I believe it was five times and into the sixth one is when the market finally sold off. So we're still early on in this somewhat tightening cycle here. All right, so let's take a look at our market action here on the day. Like I said, nice to get back-to-back -back days of solid gains here for our markets. Really solid today across the board. Today, the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones were both able to reclaim their 200-day moving average. That's an important uh, technical and psychological milestone there. So many people follow that. Uh, and then also the semis today. Also getting back above their... Let me double check that. Because, man, wait till you hear this number. Yeah, semis did get and, and closed above their 200-day moving average here as well. Up a big 5.24%. So we had tech leading today with the NASDAQ, which I'll get to here in a second. Tech leading today with semis leading the way by a lot. It's exactly what you want to see if you're bullish. We do still have a lot of work to do here. But, you know, it's a good start. Good back-to-back -back days here. Uh, and now we've gotten back above the 200-day moving average. As I mentioned, in the beginning of February, it was fresh inflows as well from pension funds and elsewhere. So this is good to keep pulling away from those lows of last Monday. We want to keep putting some distance uh, between those lows now. Um, I mean, and remember, Monday was a huge day last week, a 1,200-point reversal in the Dow to finish positive on the day. Those are the kind of events that, can mark a serious bottom. Uh, so let's take a look at our, our indexes on the day. The NASDAQ, as I mentioned, led the way higher up 3.4% to 14,239. We were followed there by the small caps up 3.04% to 2,028. Next up, the S&P 500 up 1.89% to 4,515. And lastly, the Dow Jones up 1.17% to 35,0. 131. And a little bit of a bonus here while I was talking about the tech stuff. Kip talked about this on Friday. <sighs> Wrong way Kramer, as he should now be known from now on. I mean, there's been so much. I mean, this this is not a new occurrence. People have been talking about making an inverse 
uh, Jim Cramer's picks ETF for years now. Uh, but if you saw it last week, Cramer talked about selling ARC, talked about going short through an innovation inverse ETF called SARC or SARC. Uh, this is basically the inverse of, of ARC and Kathy Wood's company. And now, just a couple of sessions later, ARK, the, their flagship fund, is up 17% since Jim Cramer made that call. Said to go short it. I mean, I, the fact that people still listen to this guy is, I mean, and not just for that reason right there, as Kip talked about as well, his idea of using the U.S. military to forcibly vaccinate people. I mean, I mean, this guy should be kicked off the air for that. And they want to kick Joe Rogan off of Spotify for misinformation. I mean, <laughs> look at this guy. Why haven't, why anybody talking about that? I mean, absolutely insane. But folks, at the end of the day, as we've just wrote a book about, and we still believe is the case, we remain in a new bull market. Year two here, that we're just about to go start going into year three. This is a structural bull market of size and scope, driven so much by financial engineering, yes, but that is also intentional. And so with this much liquidity in the system, I believe the total now is over $32 trillion globally in fiscal and monetary policy. It makes it hard for our markets to have a sustained move lower. And really, the corrections like we just got are just what we need. If you remember back to the dot-com era, on the huge rise where the NASDAQ rose 575% over that four years, there were multiple pullbacks of 10% or greater along the way. Those are the kind of washouts that keep markets fresh, uh, allow people new entry points as well. Remember, trees don't grow to the sky overnight. So this, as long as we continue from here, we see this as a healthy correction for our markets. And don't forget, that even going into this sell-off, uh, and I have to pull the exact numbers on this again, it's something like 50% of NASDAQ stocks were down over 20%. And it, I forget how many of them were down 50% or more. So we have had a bear market under the surface here. They just haven't seen it in our major indexes because they've been held up so well by names that do. And I'm not going to say that only mega cap is, is bringing those names up, but so much of the indexes get so beat up and just doesn't get talked about. It's so under the surface correction. We talk about it here pretty often. So we just got one of those for this market here. Like I said, so many of them took place during the dot-com melt-up. Doesn't mean our market can't continue heading higher from here. So another bullish factor here, looking at our internals on the day-to-day, back-to-back days here of solid internals here as well. Even better today, advancing stocks, beating out declining stocks, over four to one positive for both the NYSE and the NASDAQ. Excuse me, new 52 week highs and lows. Did come back negative, but after sell offs like this, this is certainly a lagging indicator. I mean, think about it, pretty easy to understand that when you're coming out of the end of a sell off, stocks are closer to 52 week lows than they are to 52 week highs. So that's where we are right now. Still better numbers than we saw last week. Uh, we finished today with a combined 330 stocks hitting 52 week lows to 50 hitting 52 week highs. And then lastly, volume really coming in strong today. NYSE 80% up volume day, getting really close to that 90% bullish thrust number that many technicians watch. NASDAQ right there at it, a big 89% 
up volume day. So just what we want to see confirmation from the internals here. Then looking at our sectors on the day today, as you might expect, we finished with all 11 S&P 500 sectors higher on the day today. Even those lagging earlier in the sec in the session were able to turn around into the close. And we did pull back a little bit from the highs um, going into the close today. I, I, in some of our sectors, that is, our, most of our major indexes, let's just pull that up real fast. Yeah, we finished at the highs of the day today. So really, it's exactly what you want to see. Uh, so for our sectors, consumer discretionary led the way, followed there by tech, as I mentioned, semis up huge today, exactly what you want to see. Next up, communication services and utilities. Uh, and then our laggards on the day, if you want to call them that, were energy, which was negative earlier in the session, but able to finish up a nice over four-tenths of 1%, followed there by consumer staples and healthcare. Finally for today, our VRA commodity watch, gold now up 0.76% to 1,798 an ounce, silver up a similar, uh, right up about three quarters of 1% to $22.47 an ounce, copper up 0.39% to $4.32 a pound, and lastly, the price of oil continuing to rise here. Uh, based off closing data, which I mean the oil market is still open, so... But based off of uh, certain systems that do close it at three, that's the highest close for oil that we've gotten since October of 2014, up 1.49% on the day to $88.11 a barrel. And really the hardest part about that to believe is that just a year ago, the United States was energy independent. Energy independent for the first time in 50 years. Trump said it was possible. He made it happen. I mean, by unleashing U.S. oil companies to do what they do best. Uh, and now here we are just a year later, now again, energy dependent and trying to work with foreign countries like the OPEC countries to produce more oil there. Not here, but there. When Biden came into office, I just found this stat today. Pretty incredible. When he came into office, we had a 4% surplus in oil and gas. Now we have a 4% deficit in oil and gas. That's an 8% swing there. I mean, that just can be massive economic damage. I have uh, some stats about the repercussions of that as well. But consider this. Why did they do this? To forward the Green New Deal agenda, I guess. But consider this. U.S. has much stricter environmental regulations than I'm pretty sure all of the OPEC countries have. So not only are we not are we no longer energy independent, but it's actually worse for the global environment than it was before. I mean, really, that's amazing to think about when you think about how much these climate fanatics talk about stuff like this and don't even realize the effects and the and the causes of of their own policies. I mean. Uh, these people just, it blows your mind, right? But this is what happens when you decimate your own country's supply line in the name of, of wokeness, I guess. So, I mean, just listen to some of the things, the downstream repercussions that would happen or are happening because we're no longer energy independent. Well, one, of course, the price of oil would be lower. 
meaning inflation would also be lower because energy has had played a huge part in that as well. Maybe the Fed could be talking about raising rates realistically. Now, GDP would be higher because we'd have more growth created from energy companies here in the United States. Also, think about all the jobs that we lost due to shutting down the Keystone Pipeline. Many of those people, Biden promised them green jobs after that. Where are they? <laughs> They're certainly not here yet. But, I mean, continued downstream effects. So, obviously, unemployment lower, like I just mentioned. Fertilizer prices would actually be lower, which leads to lower food prices. We're, talk we're talking so much about the conflicts in Russia. If we were energy independent and able to export more oil and gas to Europe, they wouldn't be begging Russia or worried about Russia shutting down those supply lines. There's a story out today about the Biden administration working with Qatar about getting natural gas to Europe. I mean, that would not be happening. And on top of all of that, we could do it cleaner. I mean, <laughs> there is no logical reason to continue with these policies. Even if the Biden administration were to say now, hey, listen, we tried. We realized we can do it better here ourselves. I mean, at least be honest about it. And then we could get back to work. I think a lot of people would actually applaud that kind of honesty. So rare from this administration. But after all the things I just laid out, you can see how clearly idiotic it is to continue to pursue this policy. And Kip and I have talked about this a lot. He's talked on the podcast a lot more than I have. Make no mistake about this, folks. They see these numbers too. They may not talk about them in interviews, but they see these numbers too. This is intentional destruction of the United States from within the United States so that the globalist, elitist ruling class, permanent ruling class as Kip calls them, uh, can remake America in the image that they would prefer. I mean, it may not necessarily be exactly the Great Reset, but it's a, at the very least a similar agenda. And it's the same reason they've spent the last two years trying to mask you up, trying to lock you down, trying to forcibly vaccinate you with an unproven vaccine at that. And when you think about it, we're still just scratching the surface of these policy errors here. Um, rele releasing prisoners, right, from jails, defunding the police, all of these things leading to more crime absolutely unleashing or, uh, I mean, opening up the Southern border completely. All of these things. Think about each one of those policies individually. And then think about some of the numbers I just shared about oil and gas. You don't think they see the same numbers as well about rising crime. Uh, I mean, rising fentanyl here in the United States coming from the Southern border. They see these things, folks. These are not mistakes. These are intentional. And we have to recognize that now. We have to talk about it. Because one of the purposes behind those things, think about everything I just said, is to demoralize you. When you hear crime is on the rise, inflation is higher, uh, potential shortages, all of these things, people out of work, can't find high paying jobs. These are to demoralize people. That is how they usher in communism. They make you dependent. They want to make you dependent on the government so that they can pass whatever policies they need and say, hey, well, if you don't, Get, if you don't do your vaccine, if you don't support this, you're not going to get the money, the food that you need from the government. They want you dependent on the government. Full stop. And so thank God that we have people like the men and women and the truckers that we've seen in Canada. I mean, 
just incredible. I mean, I get chills thinking about those videos of seeing how many people, this, this supposed fringe mi minority that can shut down a city, that can shut down cities. I mean, that doesn't sound like a fringe small minority to me. And I mean, again, just absolutely love to see that. And, you know, thank you to all of, all of you out there who participated in that as well. I mean, at the end of the day, I would much prefer a government run by these hardworking truckers who work in silence without any praise from anybody. And they're the reason, they are the backbone of our society, bringing us the things that, that we need. I would take them running this government over these pseudo-intellectual elitists from Ivy League schools. No doubt no doubt our government would be more efficiently run than that way. Absolutely. And speaking of <laughs> poor government regulation, we're still waiting now on what this announcement is going to be about this Biden executive order for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency regulation. Uh, I talked to a few of my friends in the crypto community about this over the weekend. I mean, a lot of people are on pins and needles waiting for this one for sure. To the group, though, it's really not that big of a surprise. After you, if you do some research into Ripple and how they were screwed over by the the previous SEC chair and other cryptos as well that are innovative ideas being stifled by the government, is not surprising. And as I laid out before, this administration is very prone to poor policy choices. The intentional poor policy choices. Uh, so that doesn't exactly inspire confidence. I, the fact that they're talking about it, but don't want to give any details really yet. But cryptos seem to be taking it in stride here. Pretty much across the board rallying today. Ethereum is up really big, but Bitcoin now up 1.9% to 38,440 of Bitcoin. Folks, that's all that we have time for here today. Please be sure to subscribe to receive our VRA podcast every day at the market close. You can sign up at VRAinsider.com. Click the podcast link at the top, and we'd love to have you with us. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you back here tomorrow for the close.